welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 30th of November 2014. Here's Brother Tom Canfield. Well, good morning. First, I want to thank you for your prayer and support. Because without it, well, we wouldn't be in Kenya. And not that we're anything great. Because... Well, we're not. God has been gracious to my family and I. And all that is done, he has done. It's certainly not us. And so he is to receive the honor and glory for anything that's been accomplished. As Pastor mentioned, we do have some prayer cards, new ones. Everyone's grown, well, except my wife. I've grown out, the kids have grown up, and she's stayed the same, as young as ever. So... If you would care to grab one, we'd greatly appreciate your continued prayer. Um, another thing, well, let me back up instead of starting with the new. Let me start with the old. God has blessed greatly over the years that we've been in Kenya. Wow. I think when we first started uh, back in Kenya in 2009, when we got, we we're helping Pastor Lawrence in our churches. Santon Independent Baptist Church, there were seven people in the church. And so it was, it was very rough, to say the least. And God has blessed over the years. I think right now we're averaging somewhere around 35 adults and around 100 children. And so that is amazing. And Denise has been, my wife Denise has been teaching the children for, well, many years, and in, in training, we do um, Sunday school and classes to train teachers to teach. And so it is great to see that when we leave the field, that the church doesn't change. And so that's an awesome blessing as a missionary to know that we work with a national pastor and I've often seen when other missionaries leave the field that because they're the pastor and they don't have someone come alongside and then they call a pastor, the church often struggles because they're not, it's, it's a change. And so we've been blessed, Pastor Lawrence, we've worked with him since we returned to Kenya and so when the Canfields go on furlough for whatever reason, I come back and the same people are in the church. It hasn't been a big struggle or a change because Pastor Lawrence has always been the pastor of the church. And that's a huge blessing. We also do a feeding program through the church, which you all have had a part in. What is, it? is it Harvest Festival? Is that what you call it? So when you do that and you send... A financial gift, you actually, we have many people from Rwanda and the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I don't know if you know much of the story of the genocide in Rwanda. Some of the people who were in our church literally were little children in the genocide. And so they saw relatives lose their lives. And the UN picked them up and dropped them in Kenya. We have 50% unemployment. 
So for them to get jobs is very difficult. And so you help in providing food for them, which there's a little girl. Her name is Gloria. And it's Mama Gloria and the three kids. And about three years ago, my little girl Hannah, who's not so little anymore, uh, came up and she told me, Dad, Gloria's outside and they haven't eaten in three days. Is there anything we can do? And that, boy, I tell you, you see a child. And actually, my children that morning, it all started because Gloria, who I think was like eight at the time, was standing beside our car. And on the way to church, my kids, we make a piece of toast in the morning and something quick before we get out the door. And there was half a piece of toast on a plate sitting on the seat of the car. One of the kids didn't finish. And Gloria was standing, if you can picture a little girl standing at your car, looking in with her nose and her hands pressed against the car, looking at that piece of toast. And oh, I tell you, it ripped my heart out. And Mama wouldn't have said a word, but her little girl was so hungry that that half a piece of toast, it just, it gripped her. And it, it gripped me and my family. And that's when we started doing, the probably maybe even four years ago now, doing the feeding program. And what is a huge blessing is that God has taken a lot of those people who couldn't get work and they've started their own business or we've put them in school and you've all had a part in that. And so this year... Um, Two of the young men, one's from Rwanda, and the other one's a Kenyan. We started a Bible institute when we returned in 2009 to Kenya. And about three years ago, we merged with a Bible college, Nairobi Baptist Bible College. So Jean Marie and Fias will be graduating with their bachelors from the Bible college. And to me, that is extremely exciting because it would be as if Someone comes to church and God is tugging at their heart to learn the, uh, more of his word and calls them to ministry. And they've been interning at our church for the last two years. And so these two young men, one of them is going to actually go out and take one of the churches we planted about four years ago. And the other one will uh, be the assistant pastor at our church there with Pastor Lawrence. And so I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I get to be the keynote speaker for the graduation on next Saturday. And so it's thrilling. And, and I, would, I would love for you to see them because you had a part in this. And when you stand before the Lord and, and when you see them in heaven, they will know who you are as you participated in, in growing them spiritually. I love... My home church in Oregon, I remember sitting like you are here, and the missionaries would come, and God would grip my heart with what they're doing, what, what he was doing through them in the various fields around the world. 
And I thought, it, as I think back through, someone invested in me, in our church. People invested in me. I went to Bible college. I worked alongside other young men. And now one of those young men actually is going to Hong Kong as a missionary. And he's originally from there. And I think about like Jean Marie and Fias who are in Kenya. And, and through your prayer and through your giving, how many souls are going to be reached? How, how many people is God going to reach because of what you've done? And it's, it's a legacy. And it's important. It's hugely important. So Lord willing, in 2015, we're going to start at least one more new church. We've raised enough money to do that as we went back in the States. And so pray with us about that because times are getting hard. The world, if you will, is it seems like it's fighting back and it's fighting back all the harder against God and his word. And so pray with us because that's, that's big and we can't do it. Uh, the other thing we're working on is we're starting an orphanage. And that also is way bigger than my wife and I and, and those who are involved. But we're building homes, if you will. It's, it's like a flat, but it's set up for individual families. And we're, built, we're building for 80 children. And so pray with us. These are on the back table. If, if you ever want to come to Kenya and check it out, please do. Um, one of the places where I think Shelly went and Amber, did you go to Happy Life? Yes, I think so. That home has newborns to one-year-olds. There are two ladies taking care of 18 babies 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I think, oh, that's, that's hard. The alternative is worse. But so, Lord willing, we want our home, our children's home, to be a family atmosphere where they're taught God's word uh, from the time we have them until God raises them up and sends them out into the world or takes them home. So as I thought about that, Denise and I have kind of struggled with this because it's a lifetime commitment to these children. You just don't take them in and then two weeks later decide that, oh, this ain't working. So, so pray with us about that because really it is big. It's, it's so much bigger than we are. It's called Bringing Hope to Africa, and these are on the back table as well if you'd care to grab one and remember us in prayer. And so that, that kind of brings me up to where I want to, why did I go to Africa in the first place? There were so many places. I had people tell me in America, Tom, we need missionaries right here in America. Why in the world are you going to Africa? And we need missionaries everywhere in the world. It seems that there are many. The time where people have heard of God and what he has done and Christ and death, burial, resurrection for us dying on the cross, 
It's not, it's not, as, it's not common knowledge anymore like it once was. Why did I go to Africa? When I graduated Bible college, I thought, okay, you know, I really didn't know what the Lord was going to do. And I was invited to go to Kenya and teach. The, teach in the, a Bible institute, preach in, in churches, and do vacation Bible school. And I, I may have told you this back in 2009, but if, if we were imagining we were sitting in Kenya, we were at a church in a lucky st- summer estate, is what it's called, it's called Christ Independent Baptist Church. And that's, we had over 600 children show up for vacation Bible school. And if you can imagine behind this wall, if we were sitting there, there was a garbage dump. And at that time, the garbage dump was, they were still hauling in garbage. And throughout the day, you'd see people foraging through the garbage dump to, to find food, to find anything valuable that they might sell. And so many of those people's children are who came to church for vacation Bible school. Some of those kids would get two biscuits and a small cup of juice, and that might have been the only food they got that day. And as I sat and thought about that, I thought, what if it was my child? What if it was your child? What, would, what is most important that they have? Would it be the gospel Or would it be a meal for the day? At that time, and well, even today, we can't feed everybody who's starving in Kenya. We can't feed everyone who's starving around the world. We can't feed everyone just here in the UK who's struggling to survive. But we can give them one thing that will serve them for an eternity. And that's the gospel. They may struggle in this life, but in the next, they will be eternally with God. And, and that really struck my heart that I probably, I never will have the finances to feed the, the starving of the world, but I do have something that I can give. And that's this. And it doesn't cost me Anything. As a matter of fact, it enriches me. It enriches me to be able to share God's word. And the same is true for you. The other day I was reading through 1 John. And so that's where I want to look this morning. 1 John chapter 2. As I was reading through this, it reminded me of those kids in Kenya. Some of them coming in rags to church for vacation Bible school. In 2005, I got hit by a car in Kenya. And I can fly. Don't like to. The landings are horrible. But I flew like, I basically across a roadway from one side to the other. And I, I stepped off the road to go into a shop. And all of a sudden, I heard tires squealing. And inside, I believe it was the Lord, my, the Holy Spirit told me, jump. And I jumped, and I, well, I got hit by a car. And it collapsed. The hood, the, what, the bonnet was smashed in, the windscreen was smashed down, and the, the hood of the, the roof of the car 
was smashed down where my head hit it. And then I flew across the road. And I say that because the glass from the windscreen, my shirt was perforated, full of holes. When I hit the, the tarmac, my shirt was torn and ripped. And some of the people that came to that church, I took that shirt off and I thought, oh, this is a rag. But then at church, the next Sunday, I noticed the shirt that I was throwing away calling a rag was better than some of the shirts that people were wearing to come to church. I can't give them everything, but I can give them the gospel. So as I read 1 John chapter 2, we're going to look at the first six verses of chapter 2. It says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sin, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we, uh, that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. And in verse 6, He that saith he abide in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that you loved us that much. That, Lord, you left the glories of heaven to come and, and become a man, become like your creation. Lord, I just thank you and praise you for your willingness to give your life, to die for us that we might live with you for eternity. Lord, I pray that you would use us, use your word in us for your honor and glory. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to your word, that you would change us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, that others might look at us and see you. And we'll thank you and praise you for all you do this morning and in us. Amen. So can I tell you the first thing as I was reading this passage the first thing that struck me here is John, God speaking through John, is saying, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. It presents us with a problem, and that's the problem of sin. And that problem is universal. It's not just me. It's not just you. It's every person except Christ, that has walked the face of this earth. Every person in this room, every person outside these doors, there's an issue of sin. And Christ, Jesus Christ, came to deal with that issue. And that's, this problem of sin needs to be addressed. And can I say, 
Jesus Christ is our advocate before the Father, and this passage speaks to that. So what does he say? What, what, what is the Bible telling us? What does God want us to know? He wants us to know that he made, he made a way for us to enter heaven. There is a standard for entering heaven. Matthew 5, verse 48, Be ye perfect, even as my Father in heaven is perfect, or as your Father in heaven is perfect. So the standard to get into heaven is perfection. And there's not a one of us that meet that standard. So we are in trouble, apart from Jesus Christ, who walked sinlessly upon the face of this earth. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And yet he was willing to die for you and for me and for everyone in this world. And that's important. Because he just did not leave us in our sin. He loved you that much. And... and, my oldest boy, Josh, who's 23, is, has been going through a hard time. And I love him. And it's hard as a father to sit and watch your children struggle and know that basically they have to get through it. They have to come to the realization of whatever this struggle may be on their own. You know what? That's not the case with salvation. You need to come to Christ, yes, but the work is done. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid it all. There's nothing left for you to do but turn to him. Turn from sin, repent, and turn to God. Turn to Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. We can't learn how to overcome it. We cannot, in our own strength, overcome it. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. And so here we are today. Jesus Christ died for you and I. The problem of sin, God dealt with through his son, Jesus Christ. The second thing that we need to look at here is in verse 2. It says, and he is the propitiation. And often that word is so misunderstood or not known. He is the propitiation for our sin. Do you realize God is a just God? He is a righteous God, a holy God. And our sin against God deserves his wrath. But Jesus, as the propitiation, he took on the wrath of God. So when he took the sins of the world upon himself, you realize that's the first time that Christ had ever been separated from God the Father? And Jesus said himself, Lord, if you can take this cup from me, 
but not my will, but thy will. You know, Jesus was not looking forward to being separated from God the Father. As a matter of fact, he did not want it for himself. And yet he said, not my will, but thy will. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for everyone that walks the face of this earth. He took not only the sin, but he took the wrath of God, the separation from God the Father, which I can't imagine. I mean, I don't know it fully in my flesh, but Jesus Christ was in the very presence of God the Father. And yet, he gave it up for you and I. And I, I, I don't think we'll understand it fully until we are with the Lord and, and see truly who God is. But to willingly take on the penalty of someone else's sin, I, I know in counseling in Bible college and in seminary, they were talking about the difference between men and women and the relationships between men and men and, and men and women and women and women. And, and often it's expressed that a man's idea of love is, I'm willing to die for you. I would give my life to protect you. And I think, I wouldn't do that for just anybody. I thank you for your prayer and support, but you know what? I don't know you that well, and can I tell you honestly, I would probably struggle with dying for you. But my family? No problem. I would gladly take a bullet to protect my family or die trying to protect my family. And, and I think of that, that there's a love there. But think about God loving the world, everyone. And I don't mean this earth. I mean you. I mean everyone outside these doors and inside these doors. God willingly sent his son to die and take his wrath. Wow, I wouldn't do it. And the truth is probably most of us wouldn't. That's amazing love. Amazing love. And that's Jesus taking the punishment for our sin, the propitiation of our sin. But the second part of this verse, but also for the sins of the whole world. It's not just about you and I. Christ died for the whole world. And by the foolishness of preaching, God saves souls. And that's not standing here in the pulpit preaching, though he does use that. It's proclaiming. Pastor, if we read the text of Scripture, pastor's job is not to be the soul winner, the only gospel giver. I used to joke in Bible college, I was, I'm still introverted, but much less when it comes to the things of God. 
But I used to joke, I just need a pastor in the pocket. You know, pull him out when you need him. Pastor, you need to give him the gospel. Okay, thanks a lot. Put him back away. But the truth is, that isn't the way God works. Pastors to train us for the work of the ministry. That we all are busy doing it. That was God's intent. And as you read verses 3 through 5, and hereby we do know we, that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know we are in him. So there's a couple things to look at in this passage. But the idea is our salvation, our lifestyle is the proof of our salvation. How you live your life proves your, if you're saved or not. If you've trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin or not. I used to own 69 lorries in America. And we traveled all over the United States. I owned 47% of that company. We did about $10 million the last year I was in business before I started Bible college. And I sold all that. But can I tell you when I worked in that company and I ran the company, so I did a lot of hiring. When someone would come to our office, our office and our truck shop was on the same property and we parked the trucks. And so if I were going to hire someone, they would come in. I worked with my brothers. We were all Christians. You would come in and you could hear preaching on, they would be playing preaching tapes or CDs or in the truck shop or in the office and or Christian music or the Bible. So no matter when you came, you would hear Christian music, the Bible, or preaching. Didn't matter what time of day or night, that was what played in our place of business. And so when someone would come to apply for a job, they would go, yeah, I'm a Christian. And can I tell you, it made me shudder. Because my experience was if someone came and had to tell me they were a Christian, it's usually because they weren't living it. And so I really, it was like a warning sign. Beware. I'm a Christian. You see, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he lived a life, a godly life. When those who were followers of him, they didn't walk around saying, oh, I'm a Christian. As a matter of fact, it was quite the reverse. People looked at them and said, oh, you are just like that Christ whom we crucified. And they were first called Christians in Antioch. And it wasn't 
Woohoo! Christians, yeah. It was oh, Christians. And not because they were doing bad, but because they were just like that Christ who they crucified. And I wonder how many of us say, I'm a Christian, because we're not living like a Christian. Because our testimony should go before us. People should look at you and just, there's something different about you. You're not like me. You're not like other people at work. You're not like other people at school. You're different. And that's, that's what this passage is talking about. We are in the world. We're not to be of the world. In other words, we should look different. We should act different. And salvation, God dying for us on the cross and us receiving his salvation, we are a new creation. And so I should not look like I did before I was saved. And if I am living that way, I'm certainly not dependent upon the Spirit of God. I'm not looking to please God with my life. And that's, but whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. You know what? I think of my oldest son, Josh. He's out of the house. He's working in some restaurant up in Oakland, California. And so I don't get to talk to him as often as when he was growing up in the house. Can I say our relationship has changed since then? I'm still his dad. I still love him. I think he still loves me. He tells me he loves me. But you know what? He doesn't talk to me like he did when he was 15 or 10 or 4. He's 23 and he's a man and dad, I can deal with this. I don't need you to help me with this. I'm okay. You know what? If, if, if you don't have a relationship with someone or you have an attitude, it's okay, God. I don't need you on this one. Lord, I'm big enough myself to take care of this. You know what? It's going to affect your relationship. You have a heavenly father who loves you. He loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. He cares about who you are, where you are, who you're with, what you do. He cares about the hard things, the simple things. And can I tell you, honestly, we're not big enough to take care of it on our own. Uh, we love to quote the passage, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me, but we don't depend on him for our strength. We depend on ourselves. This morning in Sunday school, we looked at Psalms and talked about God, the, our strength and our own self isn't going to do it. If we're going to survive, if we're going to live godly, we need to depend on Christ, His Holy Spirit. And that's the proof of our salvation is the way we live. But can you live perfectly apart from Christ? No, we can't. It amazes me, as we traveled around America to raise support to go to Kenya, 
from church to church to church, you would, we would see people and talk with people, and someone would come through the doors of church, and they wouldn't be dressed right, or they wouldn't, their hair would be wrong or something. And someone in the church from time to time would say, I can't believe that girl dressed like that, or that guy's hair, or he's got a nose ring, or whatever. And I stop and I think, wait a minute. So does this young man or young woman or who, do they know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior? Well, no. Well, then how can they live a Christ-like life apart from Christ? They can't. It's impossible. It's impossible to please God apart from Jesus Christ. And so we as Christians, we have Jesus Christ. He indwells you. And that's, that's in verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked, as Christ walked. We should live a life that people look at us and say, you are just like that Christ. And that's the power of salvation. You know, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not alone. You are never alone. The Holy Spirit indwells you. At the point of salvation, God filled you with the Holy Spirit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what does that mean? It's not like this glass pastor filled before church. Okay, I'm full. No, it's more the idea of yielding. God gave you all the Holy Spirit you are ever going to get at salvation. You will get no more Holy Spirit than you got at the point of salvation. So then how come we see some people who they seem on fire for the Lord. They're, great things are happening in their life and around them. And others who are saved, it seems like I can't even get God to answer a prayer. What's the difference? We're all filled with the same Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5 tells us, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. I don't have anything you don't have if you are saved, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. There's nothing I can do that you can't do, or there's nothing you can do that I can't do in Christ. Because you know what? It's ultimately not me, nor is it you. It's going to be the Spirit of God working in you and through you to accomplish what God has for you to do for him. It's not my strength. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. I can't earn my salvation. I can't keep my salvation. I can't do anything pleasing to God apart from God. And neither can you. So we have the Holy Spirit. How then, why then aren't we all on fire for the Lord? We have the same Holy Spirit. It goes back to that word yielding. 
Galatians 5.16, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Not you might not, but you will not. So in other words, from the time you receive Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, do you realize that we didn't have to sin ever again if we were dependent upon the Holy Spirit moment by moment as we live our life? But we don't. It was Charles Spurgeon was going to go to America to preach. And I forget all the pastors that were involved and, and, and people were excited that, oh, Charles Spurgeon is coming. And, and some arrogant pastor said, you know what? Charles Spurgeon doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. We don't need him. And the other pastor just kind of sat back and he said, well, no, that's true. Charles Spurgeon does not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Charles Spurgeon. Stop and think about that. The truth is, we get up in the morning, we have busy lives, we got things to do, we got a lot to accomplish. And, and the time we think of God is Sunday morning, Sunday evening, midweek service, or when we're in trouble. Lord, help me. But it, he should be our thought all the time. And, and trust me, I've been struggling this with, with this myself. How, Tom, how do I keep Christ before me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year? Well, I need to be on my knees. Lord, help me. Because it doesn't come naturally. You know what comes naturally? Sin. And I live in this flesh. And unless I'm focused on the Spirit of God and walking in the Spirit of God, yielding myself to the Spirit of God, if I'm not doing that, I'm in this. I'm going to follow the leading of my flesh. Either I follow Christ or I follow Tom. And can I tell you, following Tom's not the answer. It's trouble. It's going to lead you where you don't want to go. Following self, our heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Oh, but it's okay. I feel good about it. Uh-uh. Everything, our life needs to be through the filter of God's word and yielding to the spirit of God. So this idea of yielding, what is it? You come to the roundabout, someone's coming, you go, whoa. If you don't, what happens? You intersect. Well, that's the idea is I need to yield because when I am fighting the Lord on who's going to, who takes precedence here, we're going to intersect. And you know what? Because God loves me, he's going to allow me to fail. Too often, we as Christians, we think, oh, I went to church on Sunday. I was there for Sunday school. I was there for the morning service. Why? Well, I went to evening service and prayer service. Lord, Bless me. Bless me. And what are we doing for the Lord but showing up for service? We're not living for him. And if we're not living for him, we are not obedient to him. 
When my children are disobedient, I love Kenya. You know why? Because I can spank my children and not worry about having the police come and take them away. I, I, I can discipline. I can train my children. You know, that's what God does with you and I because he loves us. He wants to train us. He wants to bring us back to him, bring us back to righteousness and a right relationship with him. And so discipline's coming if we are not obedient. And yet we think just coming to church makes the grade, and it doesn't. It does not. Lord, bless me. I was in church. You know when my life changed? My life changed when I said, Lord, all that I have, not just 10%, all that I have, all that I am, is yours. Lord, use me for your honor and glory. My life changed. And I'll tell you honestly, it's been sporadic in my life, and I don't mean, basically what I mean by that is there's times when it feels like I am so close to the Lord. And I, I fear praying. And I say I fear praying because I fear what if I pray the wrong thing? God is answering every prayer I've prayed. And it seems like everything I've asked him, he's just given me. And, and that's frightening. To me, that was, well, what if I pray the wrong thing, Lord? I don't want to be out. I, I want to please you. And if, if I pray that, you know, you give me a new car because we need it for ministry. Well, then is that going to make me not dependent upon you because I don't have to pray that the car doesn't break down? Seriously. Stop and think about the way we live and how self-dependent we have become. You know, those people come to church in Kenya, and we live in a... We have, our church is in more of a poor area. It's not slums, but it's not, it's not middle class. And those people come to church with a smile on their face. Mama Gloria, when her kids hadn't eaten for three days, and I'm sure she didn't either, you would never have known. She didn't come in, oh, we're so hungry. She came with a smile on her face. She had the joy of the Lord in her heart. And that just, that's awesome to me. Because her faith is here. It's God. God will bring what we need in his time. And can I tell you, that's convicting. That was really convicting. Someone with nothing... who's struggling watching her children hungry, comes smiling to church. And, and I'm sure her stomach was growling. I'm sure her heart was breaking for her children. But that wasn't where she lived. She lived wanting to please the Lord with her life and trusting the Lord in all things. And I think, what about us who have been blessed with abundance where is our trust? Where is our dependence? I have an uncle, my mother's brother. By American standards, he's a multimillionaire. My brother went to share the gospel with him, my oldest brother. 
And he laughed. <laughs> what need do I have of God? If I want something, I'll buy it. And he has the attitude of, Tom, I could buy you if I wanted to. How many people are self-dependent? How many of us have become self-dependent? From day to day, unless we get into trouble. And the truth is here, the power of our salvation is living, walking, yielding to the Holy Spirit of God. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Ephesians 5.18. And you're going to say, what does this have to do with it, Tom? Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Do you realize there's two commands in that passage? The first one is be not drunk with wine. But opposed to that is be filled with the Spirit. I don't drink, so the chances of it happening are impossible. But if I were to come here drunk, oh, let me, let me, you got, you, you'd be right to throw me out. You'd go, oh, I can't believe this. We support this missionary and he's drunk. And you'd be offended and you'd be outraged and rightly so. But do you realize, by the same token, if we're not being filled with the Spirit, if we're not walking in the Spirit of God, God looks at it the same way as being drunk with wine. We should be just as outraged when we look in the mirror and we realize the life we're living as we live in our flesh apart from walking in the Spirit of God. We should be outraged. Be not drunk with wine, be ye filled with the Spirit. They're both commands. We can be outraged about being drunk, but not about not walking in the Spirit. We're inconsistent. We need to be walking in the Spirit of God. And you can't do that in your own power. Okay, I'm going to walk in the Spirit. Oops, I tripped on the carpet. I'm done. No. If I do trip on the carpet, oh, Lord, forgive me. And I know you do. You died to forgive me. Lord, help me walk in your spirit from this point forward. And then when you blow it the next time, which it's going to happen, Lord, you just can't quit. It's not my power, Lord, your power. Not my strength, Lord, your strength. You know what I found in my life? When I take the time to stop and say, God, Lord, give me your strength in this situation. He does. It's not a magic trick. It's not pull a scarf or flowers or whatever out of my sleeve. It's dependence on God. When a Christian is filled with spirit, he can accomplish, we can accomplish all that God has for us to do. Everything. That passage, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That literally means God will empower you to do all that he has for you to do. Maybe it's not climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. But maybe it is witnessing to that person at work. 
or school or wherever. And you could be like me who, uh, there was a, a friend back in Oregon who would tell me, Tom, come witnessing with me. I know some people and we're, I just want to go visit them. And I would be, oh, no way. I can't, I'm afraid. I don't do well in public. I still don't do well in public by myself. And I was afraid. I'll be I was afraid. And he would say, Tom, just just all you have to do is be there and just pray quietly in your mind. And I'd be like, oh. It terrified me. But you know what I found? Even even still, I am in my flesh, I it's frightening. It still is. But I think, you know what works for me? Lord, bring someone in my life today to whom I can be a witness for you. Because everyone, there's people around you, every one of us, who you know people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Who better can they trust than someone they know? Someone who they see a difference in your life. You know, when I started praying that, Lord, bring someone into my life. I had people come up and say, oh, you're a Christian, right? I, yeah. Oh, my husband has cancer. Would you come and pray with us? People I knew not very well. But they saw me, and they saw Christ in me, and thank you, Lord, because it wasn't Tom. And you'd say, oh, well, that doesn't really happen. Well, yeah, it does. You know what? I had people come and say, can you tell me how to get to heaven? I've been hearing about this from someone, and can you tell me how to get to heaven? How hard is that? And this is a guy who's afraid to talk in front of people. And God would bring them. And it wasn't that I went out, hi, my name is Tom, I'm from Bethel Baptist Church, and um, we're having a special service here, come. No, God would bring them to me. And not that we shouldn't go door knocking, not that we shouldn't share the gospel as the church goes out on evangelistic type stuff, we should. But you know what? God is going to use you as you yield to him. Lord, bring someone to me. I don't know if I told you this. In 2009, I was working for a company that sold auto spares in America. Is that what you call them here? Spares? That's what we call them in Kenya. Spares. And so we had 1,200 stores across, about halfway across the United States. And I was praying that, and they just hired a new girl to come to work. I was in risk management, so that meant I was trying to keep the you know, accidents down. I was fleet safety. And this new girl came to work, and she was under me. And God opened the door to share the gospel with her. And I thought, no big deal. Okay, thank you, Lord. You allowed me to share the gospel. And can I say one thing? It's not your job to save anyone because you can't. Only Christ can save. It's our job 
to speak. And I want you to stop and think. Many people I've heard across America, in Kenya, in Singapore, different places around the world, people have told me, you know, I just have to live a good life and people will see. If that was the case, you know what? Jesus Christ would have come and he would have lived a good life and he wouldn't have opened his mouth. But he did open his mouth. And he gave the truth. He gave the good news of the gospel that he was the Savior, the Lamb of God, to be slain for our sins. I am not better than my Lord by any stretch of the imagination. If he opened his mouth to share the good news, surely, most definitely, I must as well go into the world and preach the gospel. That means open your mouth, share the good news. Just living is not testimony enough. It's testimony to draw people to you. And then you open your mouth for the cause of Christ. And people will come to know the Lord. I think of the many David prayed, Lord, return to me the joy of my salvation. What does that mean? What does it mean to you? I think for me, as I think about David, you know, he was struggling because he was living in his flesh. And as he lived to please the Lord, return to me the joy of my salvation. Where you see God working in your life. David missed seeing God work in his life. Have you seen God work in your life? Many people, when they trust Christ as their Savior, it's like, okay, forgive me if this is out of character, but woohoo! Life, wow, this is great. You have inner joy and excitement, and, and you want to tell people about Christ and what He's done for you. But it seems the longer we've been saved, we fall back into this flesh. And we cease to walk with the Spirit of God. And we lose the joy of our salvation. We're not seeing God work in our life. You know what is amazing to me? Is we fall right back into it. And it's a daily struggle. I think of Israel. And as you read the Exodus, as they left Egypt, and you think, oh, don't you get it? How hard can it be? Look how God has provided. He, pillar of fire, pillar of smoke, water from a stone, part the Red Sea. What does God have to do? And then I stop and realize what God has done in my life. Ah, save me from my sin. Took me out of a life that was Oh, ugly and sinful and certainly not pleasing to him. Brought people into my life who would be an encouragement and, and teach me the word of God. And, ooh, wow. Oh, ye of little faith, Tom. Can't you see the obvious before your eyes? Like Israel. You know what, God, what has he done for you? 
He saved you from the pit of hell. If you've trusted him for the forgiveness of your sin, wow. Not just Egypt for a few hundred years, but this is hell for eternity. Let us not forget what God has done for us. Let's walk in the spirit of God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21 for after that, in the wisdom of God, the word by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And again, that's not preaching behind the pulpit. That's telling forth the word of God, giving the good news. And that wasn't just meant for pastor or for missionary That's meant for all of us. You know what I find the most contentment in my life? And I think of Paul in prison. And he's writing to the churches. And he's talking about his joy. And I think, wow. This wasn't, I don't know if you get much on modern American prisons, but they have internet, they have health care, they have free education, they have... This wasn't a prison like that. This was a prison where people didn't bring you food, you died. This was a prison, you're in chains. And even when he was in house arrest, they didn't feed him, people provided, and yet Paul could have joy. Why? I earnestly believe it was because he was in the will of God. He was doing what God would have him to do. And his contentment was not in his house, not in his car, not in his wealth, not in his education. His joy was in serving his God. And God gave him contentment. I earnestly believe, and I will, I am most content when I am serving the Lord with my life, holy. You know what? When I fall back into my flesh and, and, You know, it's really not right that I don't have a bigger car. We had a 1989 Toyota Corolla station wagon in Kenya. And so parts of where we went, it was muddy and rainy season, and I'd always have to get pushed out or pulled out. or It was a two-wheel drive car and in mud that I would sink down and get stuck. And I would think, Lord, a four-wheel drive, come on. But you know what that is? That's this. Because God gave opportunity getting stuck. Man, I'm stuck again. And being a white guy in Africa, you stand out. And they go, oh, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm a missionary. So do you go to church anywhere? God, in getting stuck would give opportunity to share the gospel. But it's easy to forget that, oh, this is an opportunity to serve the Lord. I get caught up in again. But you know what? Things don't happen by chance in your life, good or bad. Use your life to glorify the Lord. And, and I'm honestly, I, I, wish, I wish you could have been with me 
through these times. It's not about what you do. It's about what God does in you and through you as you yield your life to him. You want to pray or you want to stop and think, Lord, I need to be careful about the way I pray because you are so faithful in answering my prayer. I need to be careful. And I know God isn't going to give me what he does not want for me. But to think that I have the power of God working in me and through me, that's amazing. That is really amazing to me. And it should be to you. I don't know about you, but there are times when, well, before I gave my life to the Lord, I would say, well, I know God can answer prayer, but will he? I was just, we were helping plant a church, start a new church in Arizona while we were back in America. And we were meeting at home for uh, prayer time and Bible study. And one of the ladies said, you know, she said just that, you know, I know God answers prayer, but well, well, Will he answer for me? And I thought, oh, man, that's sad. Where's your faith? Where's your trust? Because that which is not of faith is what? You know that verse? That which is not of faith is sin. That which is not of faith is sin. Swallow hard. You know what? We don't walk in faith. We're not walking in the power of God, and our lives show it. As we read through this passage, the evidence of our life should be of our salvation. It should be the Spirit of God working in us and through us. And you know what the great thing is? You can't do it by yourself. You never will be able to. So get over that hurdle right now. We have the power of God, and we can live a life that is pleasing to him. Not by your strength, not by my strength, but by his strength. And that is awesome. Because honestly, I can't do it. I'll be the first to tell you, I cannot do it. I cannot live a godly life. I cannot please God apart from Christ. And so, I, you know, I can't depend on me. So, I'm not gonna. But neither can you, so don't even try. You need to look to the Lord. Lord, your strength. Lord, your power. Give me the time to be in your word, Lord. And then step out in faith and do it. Read God's word, share God's word, pray, Lord, bring someone to me to whom I can be a witness for you. And watch your life change, because it will.